Hey everyone, before we get started, I just wanted to discuss the timeline of this season. Our episodes are not necessarily presented in the order we recorded them, and these conversations took place over the course of the past few months. Therefore, we may touch on some, but not all, current events. That being said, Victoria and I want to express our love and support for all using their voices for positive change. Hey guys, thank you for joining us. I'm Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. This is The Table, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. Welcome to episode four, where we talk with hit songwriter, producer, and multi-instrumentalist Karen Kozowski. We invite you to pull up a chair and get super, super comfortable because everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop you. Karen Kozowski is a versatile, multi-genre writer and producer who's based in Nashville, Tennessee. She was raised in the Canadian prairie city of Winnipeg, Manitoba, but in the early 2000s, she moved to Toronto and spent many years recording and creating both pop and country music before she relocated more recently to Nashville, Tennessee. That's where I started working with her as a co-writer and as a producer. And this woman is pretty dynamite. She has contributed to a wide resume of hits. So sometimes as a producer, sometimes as a writer, sometimes as a mixer, sometimes all three at once. Uh, She wrote the six-week number one Australian country single Memphis T-shirt for Melanie Dyer, the number one Canadian and Australian country single What a Song Should Do for Tim Hicks, the Canadian Gold Certified Anthem for Brett Kissel. She produced and co-wrote the number two Canadian country single Country Thunder for the Washboard Union and subsequently produced six more tracks on their new 2020 album. And she co-wrote and produced and mixed the new single What Are You Gonna Tell Her for Mickey Guyton on Capitol Records Nashville. That's a song that, that we wrote together and I had the great experience of working with Karen on that and we continue to work with Mickey. We've also written a song called Hold On that uh, Karen produced and mixed and it found a place in the major motion picture Breakthrough. She co-wrote the top 40 US hit Somebody to Love Me for Try On. She produced, mixed, and co-wrote the Billboard AC Radio Top 5, It Won't Be Christmas, for Emily. She has just done a huge variety of work, and I could go on and on, but it would take all day. So I'm really excited to talk to Karen and get her perspective. Thank you so much for being here with us today. It's a little late in the summer in Tennessee, so it's nice and lazy feeling. Um, and you and Victoria have actually known each other for a while, haven't you? Yeah, we were both Canadians. Yay! That's right. Love yep. it. How did you guys meet? I don't think I ever asked um, either one of you. I think it was through Phil Barton, wasn't it? He was, I think he connected us. He was a mutual co-writer. And I remember him telling me, you need to write with Karen Kozowski because she's a complete rock star. She's a track builder, producer, songwriter, extraordinaire, multi-instrumentalist. And he was like, I have a feeling that you're going to, as soon as you work with her, you're going to feel like she's your girl. Like she's the go-to. And that totally happened. <laughs> totally happened. So yeah, I love working with you, Karen. That's very, <laughs> that's very sweet of him. I, yeah, we. it's funny because we're both from Canada, but we never met in Canada. We We only met here. Yeah. How long ago did you move to Nashville? Uh, beginning of 2017. Oh, wow. A relative newbie and taking the, taking the place by storm already. I love it. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. So, So one of the things that we love to talk about is your experience as a woman in the industry here and in Canada. Obviously, you have a unique perspective having worked in both places. And and the the most basic question, I guess, to ask is, do you feel that the industry, the music industry is different for women than it is for men? And how? Well, <laughs> it's such a tricky thing. I mean, I think we're all really aware that it's it's different for artists. You know, um, there's a lot of obvious ways that we we all see that. I mean, on the on the craft side of it, I feel like I feel like a lot of the time I'm not thinking about it. Like it's like when you're in the room with people that are we're all focused on making something great, then no, it's no different. Um, I feel lucky that 99 percent of the time that's the case. And that's, that's what I prefer, you know? I mean, like, I always find talking about being a woman, a woman in music uncomfortable, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah. But I understand why people ask, and I understand mm-hmm. why, why it can be important to talk about it. Um, but it's something that I've always wrestled with in terms of, like, do I talk about it? Do I want to go there? The rest of the time, <laughs> I'm just I'm just a producer. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, and that's that's ideally what I am. Do you ever find yourself having to adapt your role as a producer um, when you're in a session with a male artist versus a female artist? Does that change anything for you? Not not usually, no. Um, <clears throat> I mean. I feel like, you know, there may have been the odd time over the years where, like, there was maybe, like, oh, okay, maybe I need to approach this a little differently (laughs) kind of moment. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I mean, everyone has egos, like, male and female. (laughs) So whether it was just ego or whether it was gender, like, in those kind of situations, it's it's never clear-cut, you know? I don't know exactly what's going on in their head, and they don't know what's going on in mine, and I try not to ascribe like, like, oh, well, that was definitely a gender bias thing, you know? Sure. Um, what about, um, I'm really curious about this because Victoria specifically was like, oh, I wonder if Karen has any stories like that. When I was 16, 17, I had my first experience where I really was like, oh, I feel like this is not kind of the thing that happens for guys. And it was really obvious. I went to a guitar center with a friend of mine who was a guy and I was looking to purchase a guitar and he was just kind of browsing. Like, And as soon as we walked in, um, every all the like middle-aged male sales attendants flocked to him. No one talked to me the entire entire three hours we were there until the very end when a guy had been ignoring me at the checkout for 15 minutes and I'm like trying to buy a guitar (laughs) and my friend is currently buying one with four sales attendants there and they're chatting and and one of the guys looks over at me and is like oh do you play guitar too and I was like as soon as I heard you tell that story I was like I want to know if Karen has that experience because you're definitely in a very small minority as a female producer um in in Nashville. So do you have you had something like that happen or do you feel sometimes like you're sort of misjudged that way? Well, it's funny you bring up the music store thing because <laughs> <laughs> uh I remember back many years ago 
when I didn't know the people at the music store that I used to go to all the time. Like, well, you, once you get to know them, then they know, you know each other and, and you know what mm-hmm. you do. But I remember early on when I had just moved to Toronto and I was going into this music store there, one of the larger music stores, and I remember telling my boyfriend at the time, we were, we were going in together, and I was like, don't hold my hand. And I was like, mm-hmm. don't, don't, like, give me space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like something in me was really aware of the fact that I was going to do everything I had to do to not be the girlfriend in the situation. Um, and I found, I've, I've always found like, that even still happens sometimes at, at uh, conferences like NAM or something. I'll go to NAM mm-hmm. and I'll be walking around on the, on the, the trade floor. And it's like, Sometimes, yeah, the the conversation definitely like right away zooms to whatever male person that might be in the group of people I'm with if I'm with the group of people. Um, the thing that I've always found myself doing, and I don't really know if it was like a conscious decision initially, but it's just something that my gut kind of like, my instinct kind of said, okay, well, this is what you need to do. It's just like, get into a conversation with someone about something and ask them something technical and start talking about something technical and mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes mm-hmm. out technical them <laughs> 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 because it just it, it changes the vibe immediately when not being a know-it-all or something but just like mm-hmm. start talking about some of the stuff that that I'm interested in and and having to I, I'm an assertive person anyways mm-hmm. but I think I, f- I think I that maybe also developed in me even more because I felt like that was very important was to establish a dynamic as mm-hmm. soon as possible. And I think that that might actually, when I think about it, kind of lend itself to a lot of situations for me yeah. in this mm-hmm. business is just establishing a dynamic, establishing a dialogue. A lot can be communicated in a short period of time that's subconscious. Well, and maybe maybe your ability to use your assertiveness to do that has led you to a place where you can say, yeah, I, I feel the same comfort level working with men or women. I'm just myself, you know? And I think there are a, a lot of people are sort of trying to tiptoe around those relationships and trying to give people what they want to hear or whatever, you know? Because um, that is... A pretty unique thing about you and and something that I think a lot of people don't have so it probably works in your favor in that situation but that's really that's really interesting well I think it's also necessary as a producer sometimes I'm producing a solo artist sometimes sometimes I'm producing a band and you have to be able to be a certain kind of voice of authority in the room at, at appropriate times that's just a personality thing I think you know for me I find that that that's important did you go to school to study engineering and production? Did you teach yourself? How did you learn? I had a very long and winding self-taught road. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I started out 22 years ago as a solo singer-songwriter wanting to put out records and having no money. So I just rented a bunch of gear and then made a record and then started um started making records on computers as soon as I realized that was a thing. Um, Mm. And it was like really early versions of like Sonic Foundry Vegas on PC and Fruity Loops Mm. and stuff like that. And just, I just like, I'm, I'm a nerd. So I like love the getting hands on with that stuff. And so it was just a really winding path for me where 
I just kept learning new things and always having to learn because I didn't know how to do something. Um, and I've also been very fortunate to have had many talented, talented producers that I've gotten to talk to and and pick mm-hmm. their brains and over the years and. Were there, were there particular mentors that that you kind of worked with closely? Not for any consistent long period of time, no. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've just tried to soak up as much from as many people around me as I could. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'd be working on a project with someone for a little bit, and maybe they'd, they're bringing me in to write on something, but I'm also kind of like watching what they're doing here and there. And then another t- other times it's like I, you know, having a studio in a, a larger studio where other rooms are and, you know, picking up little things here and there, you know, borrowing different mics from the main room and, and you know, trying them out and, and different compressors and learning about gear that way, like actual hardware. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very software based in a lot of parts of my life and mm-hmm. in this in this career. But um, but yeah, just soaking it up from wherever I could. Did you ever did you ever feel like well, she Vic touched on it just now with her question about a mentor, but I'm curious from um, like an overall perspective, did you ever feel like you were kind of shut out of certain spaces or maybe it took you longer to learn how to do something or find peers that you could talk to about production, et cetera, because you were a woman? And the reason I ask that is because I've had a lot of friends that are currently teaching themselves production and as women, they've spoken about not really being able to find a guy willing to like chat with them about that and kind of mentor them and help them. And on the industry side, when I used to work in that space, I've, I found a lot of publishers and A&R and, and people in that world speaking about how guys in a, their same position were being taken under their the wing of the, the bigger people. And they as women were left to, to kind of just be like, okay, I'll figure it out. And like not kind of necessarily being led into those spaces. Do you ever have any feelings of that or because you're self-taught and kind of DIY'd it, it wasn't something on your radar? I feel like, um, no, I was, yeah, part of it is I just was never reaching out in that kind of a a context. Like, hey, can you mentor me? Or, Or like looking for something like that. Um, I feel like a lot of the situations where I learned from, from more advanced people than myself, I kind of, they happened organically. And anytime I have had questions and I've actually reached out and asked someone, I've always found people were very generous with, with talking with me and, and discussing things and giving me advice. Um, I'm a little bit of a loner. So, <laughs> so I think a lot of it for me is like, I probably should have reached out more. <laughs> <laughs> and I just didn't like I, I tend to go inside myself and try to find the answers and try to figure it out. And I mean, nowadays, too, I mean, there's so many like, you know, Google is your best friend. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing what you can find and learn on online. Yeah, it's true. So did you notice a difference in the dynamic of the industry as a woman between working in Canada and working in Nashville? Have you felt a difference? I mean, I know there's a lot of things that are different in general. Um, I've always felt like like the dynamic of being being a woman doing what I'm doing. It's kind of a gray area for me of knowing if there are situations I'm being shut out of because I how do I know I'm not there? (laughs) And I don't know if that was a situation I could have been in. Like I I I think I've just kind of got my head down trying to do the best work I can do and 
I'm grateful for the opportunities that I'm I'm getting to work on projects with artists and get to write with so many people and and if there are other things that other people w- could have had faster than I did because they were a guy I I don't know how to know that I don't I don't know what the point is to get myself down <laughs> <laughs> No it's true Well and and you're you're the kind of person that you zone in on what you're doing and you perfect it and you obsess over it and you spend every waking hour on it and then the world kind of comes to you right like the world finds you through the quality of what you're doing and it doesn't matter that you're a woman or a man or how old you are or whatever it's your work is is standing is speaking for itself and um and that's pretty cool. I mean, so, so as a songwriter, have you been writing for as long as you've been producing or longer? I guess you were saying you were a singer songwriter from the start, which is what kind of sparked the production, right? Yeah. I mean, I started out, I just loved writing songs. Um, and that was sort of what sparked me into everything because I was seeing all these songwriters singer-songwriters at the time going out and playing their music and I thought well I guess that's what I'm supposed to do if I write if I write a song I guess I'm supposed to go sing it now (laughs) which led to everything and I mean until the day came where I realized that I didn't have to be the one out front singing it and Mm. suddenly it was like everything clicked you know um because I just I I I'm I love being behind the scenes and I love I love getting to do all this stuff and I love I love getting to work with different artists and getting to play in different kinds of genres and getting to do something that's more rockin' and getting to do something that's, you know, more sensitive and getting to do something that's more rootsy and getting to do something more pop. And uh, if I was an artist, I would have to stay in more of a lane, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's true. Yep. That's, so that, true. I, that's what I love about songwriting, too. The, the ability to try on different hats and not only that with genre, but also with the different voices the different instruments that other people play you know it's almost like you get to be the puppeteer (laughs) (laughs) it's like I'll try on this voice and this voice so yeah I think there's cutting cutting to the deepness in conversations and that's one thing that I really love in the co-writing process and I think that when you're co-writing especially with and for artists you kind of have to do that in order to write what is authentic to them, um, something that they're really going to re- resonate with. And I've definitely been in the room many, many times with Karen when we've done that with different artists. And it's always a very s- safe space to walk into and just share exactly what's going on, your frustrations, your worries, your fears. And then we kind of lift each other up through it. And usually end up writing something transformative that <laughs> that helps us cope with it you know so it's almost like a therapeutic writing session and and Karen is you're always the to me anyway you're the kind of person that holds that calm cool safe collected feeling about it all you know oh, well thank you yeah so you're the the calming therapist in the room you know <laughs> Which you can kind of tell from the conversation we're having is like you're very zen about it all, and I, and I love that. I've got my glasses on and I'm ready. And- <laughs> got the beautiful tapestry behind you. I feel yes. like so so calm. Well, yes. speaking speaking of that, um, Vic, I'm super curious about Karen your experience with 
artists like Mickey Guyton, and I know you and Vic have worked with her together and have created some pretty incredible songs. Um, and they're really powerful. You both are very open and honest and like you said pretty like straight to the point and with Mickey she strikes me as a person who's just not afraid to tell the truth and speak her mind and speak her feelings so what was I mean for both of you what are those sessions like and how do you guys go into sessions like that expecting to write something super powerful or does that happen from conversations like we were talking about that kind of just naturally occur well I mean I feel like with someone like Mickey she's an artist that comes in with a mission like she's got something she she always has something she wants to say something that's on her mind so I always know that that's that we're gonna she's we're we're gonna be going on some kind of journey um and I love it like I'm grateful for it because it feels like we all get to to really create something together that feels meaningful, even if it's a fun song. Like we've written some, obviously some more dramatic sounding songs um, with heavy topics, but you know, for as many dramatic sounding songs that we have, we also have some where we really kind of try to poke some fun at stuff that is still stuff that not everyone's talking about um and that's so much fun too so I feel like you know either we're crying or we're laughing it's true <laughs> like sometimes both yeah <laughs> a lot of the time both <laughs> it's always it's always making you feel something you know like it's never one of those rights where you're just like I'm not totally connecting like I'm not like I think we all find it very important that there's some emotional core to the song that feels really authentic and that's a treat to get to do. Mm-hmm. And there's a magic to it as well when we get to work from that place together and we feel comfortable doing it and we can get there very quickly. But also, Karen, I mean, you help us deliver that song into being in a way. You know, as a producer, Karen's in the room playing the playing the instruments, playing the tracks, building the tracks, uh, capturing mickey's vocal you know even though mickey's so fresh and raw from writing the song that sometimes she's crying through the vocal karen will capture the vocal in that moment and and there's something magic about that when you can capture that real authentic feeling you know sometimes when you write a song and you're so excited about it and you're in it and you just sing it into a voice memo or something and then you go back and you try to demo it later it's like it's lost that momentum and the immediacy of the feeling and I think a big part of why the songs go over the way they do and and affect people the way they do is the fact that they're captured in the moment when we're writing them with those feelings being so raw yeah there's definitely a same day magic like you know you've been singing the song all day long so even though it's a new song to you there's a certain kind of intimacy that you have with it, a familiarity that you have with it, because you've literally been singing it for three or four hours, probably at that point, um, at least. And so you're in this kind of like really, I want to say, <laughs> lubed up place. <laughs> but like, you, you know, it's like, you you know, all your, all your gears are like 
oiled up and you're like you're ready to go even if it's raw it's there's nothing like that magic of that that day you know so i yeah anytime possible i'd rather capture that that day and then cuz you always have the option to recut later if if it didn't work out but i find that more times than not that that vocal that happened that day is the thing yeah and the label will want that and then if you do anything you might just tweak or add something to it right yeah totally and that becomes the single that be- that goes out to the world and was um was what are you gonna tell her the last time you guys were all in a session together no we've written some since since then too that was a that was the first time that mickey and karen and i were in the room with with emily so it was four women in a room together and we had all written together in different combinations and really hit it off but we thought oh we should put all of us in a room together which is kind of crazy i mean a four-way right but we were like what it'll it'll be amazing or or it'll be terrible we don't know it'll be one or the other and we got in the room and 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 that one really came out of just conversations about life and what was going on for us and just the Mickey's sheer frustration which I was experiencing too with the world and the industry and for me with parenthood and and yeah so that was a very raw song we were all crying we were all crying and just there's a there's like a a fork in the road when you're writing something like that where you can either sugarcoat it or you can say it in a really hard raw way and I remember we reached that moment of that fork and we were like okay if we do this raw thing I don't know if this is ever going to go out into the world but it doesn't matter (laughs) you know like do you remember that Karen it was yeah I just wanted it to be uglier yeah like I was like that like I think I think you said something I can't remember which line it was there was a line that came out and it was like Yes, that is the kind of ugly that we want. Like that, her friend's older brother's gonna keep his hands to himself. Yeah, it, was that it, line. it ca- kind of came yeah. out of nowhere, yeah, and it was like, line. yeah, I love how gross that is because mm-hmm. that's the feeling, and yeah. that's why shy away from that. Like, yeah. this is this is that, important. That struck me so hard because I remember specific instances as a young girl where I wanted to go sleep over at a new friend's house or something, something or something. And I remember my mom one time specifically telling me like, I don't know the family members. I know there are male family members that are living in the house and I don't know them and I don't feel comfortable with that. And so that's something, my parents were always very open about stuff like that, um, thankfully. And they were always super honest, but that line hit me so hard. That whole song just gave me goosebumps the entire time. And I remember, see, I I think Victoria, we were at a writer's retreat like a couple of days after you guys had written that. And Karen, did you know that it was going to be such a powerful song? Because Victoria mentioned, you know, you guys were unsure whether it would ever see the light of day. And then when mickey performed it was it the ryman or the opry or something it was on the ryman for the country radio seminar did you guys did you know that if it ever saw the light of day that it would get so big or was that like super surprising to you had no idea i i was lucky enough to play the piano with mickey at the ryman and i just remember like before we went out onto the stage 
we were like, well, let's see what happens. <laughs> and then it was like, and then at the end, when people started standing up, I, I just like, I was like, okay, I got to get out of here because I'm in an ugly crack. <laughs> you know, it was just like, that day was crazy. It was like, what is happening? You know? Yeah. It, it felt timely somehow. Like, it was, it was a very interesting experience. So um, Emily and I were out in the audience watching Mickey and Karen perform it. And then we met met up with them backstage afterwards. And just watching it, like listening to it come out of Mickey in front of that audience. And, and it was an audience of, of radio programmers for country radio across the United States and parts of Canada. And so... <laughs> really th- these are the these are the people who have i mean perpetuated the issue of you know only playing male artists far more than female artists and so this is this is the the glass ceiling that we've come up against and we're you're performing it in front of them and the fact that as the song went down i could hear people gasping at lines around me and just going oh <laughs> and oh, and so amazing. like those the those ugly lines, you know, like that that her friend's older brother is going to keep his hands to himself, or that somebody's going to believe her when she tells those mo- those lines. The line about you know she thinks she could be the president. You know, are we going to just going to let her believe that? <laughs> Will it help it happen any faster? There's something about when you're when you're writing it, you lose your objectivity, right? And then the first time you get that back is when you hear it played for someone else. Because you're hearing them hear it. Yes, totally. And uh, it just struck me in this, uh, as it was happening, I was realizing how important it was and how beautiful it was to be a part of that. Because I just felt like in that moment, it doesn't matter if anything else happens with this song. It doesn't matter if anything else happens in my career. I can feel like I was part of something that said something important at a time right when it needed to be said because this was in a show that featured all of the artists on the Universal Music Group Nashville 90% of the men 90% of the songs being fun beer drinking chasing the girls (laughs) whatever songs you know and then this Mickey walks out with you Karen and delivers this song that just basically winds up and punches everybody right in the gut (laughs) It was, it was really cool to be a part of that. <laughs> Not to mention, I mean, like, you, um, when we recorded the song that day, uh, we wrote it, and then, and then I was sitting with it for the days afterwards, and and just you know working it up a bit. And like you said, Victoria, you get you get like so close to something when you're writing it that it's your baby. So of course you love it. Um, but I, this was one of those where like. As I was working on the song, I was crying, <laughs> you know, like crying at Mickey's delivery at, at, at her vocal on it. And it was just like I couldn't like I, when I'm reacting like that as I'm working on it, I hope that other people will connect that way, too. And I feel like it's a good sign. I think that's something that seeing the reaction online as well, because I watched the video of you guys doing it live. Um, But even seeing the, like, commentary storm that was this song, even from that raw recording, was really beautiful because it felt like 
the audiences were getting this breath of fresh air that they didn't realize that they were craving, like they didn't realize they were, you know, because there's so much wonderful music, regardless of the gender of the person performing it out there. But, you know, I think sometimes we get so caught up and it's got to be a single, it's got to be top 40 friendly, it's got to be like catchy and danceable, whatever that is, that we're really steered away from ballads and even not even ballads, just difficult topics. And to me, like the songs that I vividly remember hearing for the first time, whether they're happy or sad or thoughtful or whatever, are those songs that give me that breath of emotion and truth that I didn't think I was missing and I think a lot of people realize that country music and on another level female artists have so much depth that we don't really get to see and it reminds me of like when I was younger dreaming of being in Nashville like watching the Taylor Swift E True Hollywood story and them talking about how they were advised against putting out a ballad as a single anyways but they did it twice they did it back to back and everyone was like, that's never going to work. And then they both went like number one. And, and that I feel like I hear that story all the time where they keep getting proven wrong, but then they keep saying the same thing, <laughs> which is the same thing about like, oh, audiences don't really connect with and want to hear women. Um, but I just, I think that song itself, regardless of its topic, the impact that it had on listeners, just realizing that there was that level out there and that they could kind of say hey we like this we want more of this and that could really actually change the tide of what's created um I hope and think that we're gonna see more of that because of the song that you guys created well it's it's pretty cool to be a part of that project as an ongoing thing and I know Karen you're you're producing Mickey's uh record and we've been working together a a lot on that and there's just, she has a lot to say and we've been exploring a lot of, a lot of those things. And so it's really cool. And it's also really cool working with um, someone in Mickey who is as adamant about sharing the positives with us and Mm -hmm. the experiences that a lot of artists don't think to share with the songwriters that are on their team. So, you know, quite often as a songwriter, it's like you're there in the room and then the song goes on and lives its life without you. And Mickey's very proactive in including us, like, you know, having Karen play piano with her on stage and yeah that was a dream yeah it was so cool and and when when we wrote hold on with her for the breakthrough movie soundtrack she did the same thing brought us both on the opry to play and sing with her and um has just included us in you know media opportunities and um she's always mentioned our names in every interview she does and i just think it's really cool because she's very actively trying to help help us in our careers and pay it forward in a really cool way, which um, I think she's been in the industry long enough to know that it's hard <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. we need those moments and we, we live for those moments that are just the, you know, these magical moments that we get to have. Um, so it's cool to be a part of that. It's beautiful. Karen, I, I was thinking about this earlier. Can you think of any experiences in your life? Maybe it's not even gender based, but any kind of personal bias that you'd put on yourself that you later realize this is ridiculous I don't know why I feel like I can't do that or shouldn't do that because you've had a really colorful career multi-genre different cities all these different artists 
how have you evolved in that way? And are there any instances where you're like, oh, I don't know why I thought I couldn't do that? No, I think it's more like, um, I think like a lot of creatives, I think my struggle off and on is always like that imposter syndrome <laughs> has nothing to do with gender. It just, it's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> why, why does anyone else think I know what I'm doing? I'm fooling them all. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, I, I know so many creative people who feel that way all the time. And it's, and it's, it's a real thing. And it's, but I always, I always try to remember that if I felt like I knew what I was doing all the time, I probably wouldn't be getting any better. And I think the fact that like, I'm, I always want to challenge myself and I always want to be trying to improve. Um, but that means that you always kind of feel like there's somewhere you want to be that's even further along. You know what I mean? So it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I don't think I've ever like, I don't think I've ever thought I can't do that because I'm a woman or subconsciously. I don't, I don't yeah, think yeah. so. I don't think I've ever discovered that. Do you that. do you tend to say yes to things before you know how to do them? Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. But I'm also I I also am very much I like to underpromise and overdeliver. Mm-hmm. So, it's sort of a bit of both. Like I'm not going to I think it stems from like I had this piano teacher growing up that was very very conservative with her praise. So, she never was like, you're amazing. You're, I really love what you did. Way to go. Like, it was never like that. It was just like, if, if I had played something well, I could tell because she just had a little look on her face. And it was just like, okay, <laughs> let, what's next? Let's do the next thing. And so I feel like maybe that helped to sort of like, you know, frame like, okay, let's stay focused. You know? <laughs> and I feel like, and, and I think that's, that's something in myself that sometimes I realize I'm a little reserved <laughs> with my enthusiasm, even if I'm like really feeling enthusiastic about something, mm-hmm. but not for any me, like not that I'm meaning to like hold back or anything, <laughs> but yeah. it's just like, it's sort of like my, a bit of my nature. And I, I like to sort of shock and awe (laughs) I'd much rather like surprise (laughs) you with something that blows you away than tell you you're going to get something that blows you away and then possibly you build it up in your mind bigger than it could even be (laughs) you know like to me that that's scary (laughs) well speaking of all those projects do you have anything kind of on your bucket list? Like, oh, I want to write this kind of song or work with this artist, do the, do this kind of project. Do you have anything that you're really like, oh man, if I could just get myself that opportunity or, or make that happen? No, I don't, I don't find myself thinking about it that way. Um, I think it's partly because I don't, I don't think that's how the industry works. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like it's a lot of like, oh, I want to work with this artist and they're over here. And, you know, like that's I feel like it's more like I just really would love to be able to keep making music that I care about for as long as I possibly can and hopefully have that support me living. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know maybe go on a vacation every now and then and yeah. <laughs> you know the like dream. that that's the dream like to me that's that's what I aspire to is just getting to work with artists you know like Mickey who really inspire me and really make me wake up in the morning and just want to like get in and work on something that we're working on that's that's the best well I think that's, that's awesome. a perfect place yeah. to kind of our... end with rapid fire rapid fire questions oh, no. okay so these are just the, oh, I was fine <laughs> I'm so scared so question one would be do you have a favorite creator at the moment that you are listening to watching reading whatever no, I no no not one specific person comes to mind. I'm sorry, this is the opposite of rapid okay. fire, but I take That's it very okay. seriously. Are you are you constantly taking in a lot of external things, or are you pretty kind of zoned in on what you're working on, what you're putting out? Well, it's a bit of both. Like I'll be in that cave of like really focused on something I'm working on, but then a lot of the times when I'm listening to stuff, I'm listening with a purpose. So it's like really going through like a ton of references and looking for inspiration in different things. Um, and when I'm like, when, I, when I'm not working and I'm not looking for references or, <laughs> or research, um, I find myself more gravitating towards like, let's change it up. Let's listen to some mariachi <laughs> while making br- brunch on Sunday or... Um, you know, let's let's put on yeah, put on a genre I just don't normally listen to, or go for like a throwback and listen to something from like the '90s that I haven't heard in ages. You know, or <laughs> like it's yeah, I just like to change scenes a little bit. Well, you it's know? a good yeah. way to relax to relax too when your brain is constantly analyzing and thinking and stuff. It's like it's like when when I go to get a massage and they put on music that has lyrics and I'm like oh no I'm gonna be sitting here listening to this song and analyzing it and taking it apart and going why did they rhyme that and that could have been a better line and yeah oh no (laughs) it needs you know massage massage it needs to be either um instrumental or it needs to be like some of the like there's a couple um medical dramas that I watch where whenever there's a, a sync placement and all the music that they use I swear the lyrics are unintelligible yes. on purpose and it's we so, much vibe, about this so much but there's you can't tell what they're saying it's just like i know what i feel and that's that's what the scene needs <laughs> that's what you need for a massage <laughs> yeah, exactly i love that well what about your favorite trend at the moment i think <laughs> my favorite trend right now wearing masks that protect you as well as other people <laughs> Ah, brilliant. Round there you go, Karen. We were Kudos talking about that before that we started recording. We were just yes. talking about that. Yes. <laughs> I have to say, um, one of my favorite trends is Karen's blue hair. So ah. people look at Karen's picture online because her blue hair rocks. Yes. So. Made me really yeah. miss my fake fire engine red hair so God. bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about uh, a trend that you wish would stop? The COVID-19 upward trend? Because that... <laughs> yeah no snaps um (laughs) and yet you know you still we still do it because if but you know yeah there's certain things of course I'm thinking of music right now but you know there's certain things that I'm hearing so much of and it's just 
it's like anything. It's, you know, everyone everyone gets really attached to certain trends, but the snaps and the and the sixths on guitars, the tenths and the sixths. But I also love them. Yeah, <laughs> I love them. But then it's like, and another song that's doing it. <laughs> but like, yeah, I've hit my limit. But at the same time, when I'm sitting with the guitar just noodling around, I'm like, oh, this is so pretty. <laughs> All right, well, what about the last time you failed? I've totally failed um, this year at one of my resolutions, which was that I was going to try to be stricter with when I would do email Mm -hmm. and not not do email first thing in the morning and not check it obsessively many times through the day. and I was going to only do it for like an hour at 5 p.m. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That would be so great to be able to pull that off. But I couldn't do it either. I know. And the days that I actually did it for a very short time, it was incredibly freeing. And I was so much more focused. Um, but it's not the reality of life. I mean, there's just things that I need to know first thing in the morning sometimes. And yeah. You know, so yeah, yeah, definitely I can relate to like the email, the social media, not watching the news. Um, it all goes yep. like, yep. you know, the moment I'm printing a mix, I'm like, and Instagram. <laughs> yep. Waiting for a, waiting for a session to load and Twitter. Yes. Um, okay. So there's one last question. I love this one. So if you could go back in time and visit yourself as a younger you and at any point, what advice would you give yourself? Sometimes I think that I would have told myself to collaborate more because it took me a really long time to collaborate at all. Um, I didn't start co-writing with people until I was had pretty much finished 12 years of being a solo artist. Oh. And that was just, you know, me being in my bubble and being like in singer-songwriter that liked to write my own songs and never really realized that co-writing was a thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's just one of the many ways. And I feel like, you know, my path was was very slow because I didn't collaborate as much, I think. At the same time, I mean, like, we all have our own paths, so I don't regret anything, but maybe maybe that'd be a piece of advice I'd give to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy we finally got to e-meet um i've heard so much about you and thank you for sharing a little bit of your time and your experiences we really appreciate you that was awesome karen thank you it's great to talk to you to stay up to date on all things the table on social media join us on instagram facebook or twitter at the handle at sign the table women Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any artists or songs referenced in the episode in our episode notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time on The The Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't let them stop Stop, 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 stop.